everyone. It's Fran. And Tom. We're really excited about this episode we're about to share with you right now. Uh, we were excited to, to have this guest, and we're really excited to share this 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 guest with you. But yeah. we thought we would pop on real fast just for a quick, I don't know. It's this, a disclaimer, I yeah. guess, is what you'd call it. Right around, what's it, the 20? 25, 20, 20, 20, 25, Yeah, right in that 20 to 25-minute mark, maybe 26-minute mark. Uh, there's a little issue with the audio where where Andrea cuts out a little bit and comes back in. Uh, we addressed it when we, we recorded. We actually stopped twice while we were recording to try to fix the issue. So um, it gets better. It pops up a little bit again towards the end, but it's overall the, the quality of the episode is actually really good. It's We don't want you to, to say, ooh, this is getting bad and stop. Don't, so. don't give up. It may cut out for yeah. like a split second, but you can you can understand everything that's being said, and it, it will warble, and then all of a sudden it will – go away and it, you're you're fine so just don't don't give up on it because you're gonna miss a fantastic episode it's it's not that bad we just didn't want you to think if you heard it once or twice that it continued for the whole all right thing. yeah now to the episode here you go enjoy it you're listening to the native plants healthy planet podcast presented by pinelands nursery here are your hosts fran chismar and tom kinesic Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I am Tom Knezic. Welcome to episode 84. And one of the things we always recommend when you're you're at home and especially over the winter when you want to do some more research on native plants is Google a great place to start. Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's really funny how much, you know, it's a, it's a, a double-edged sword because – a lot of the information that we get on a daily basis, some of it's common knowledge, but some of it we have to look up ourselves. And the internet is is full of places that you can trust and 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 mm-hmm. some knowledge that you necessarily can't trust. So where do you go? Yeah. Like who do you? Yeah. Who can you feel comfortable if you go to that you're going to get the mm-hmm. information you need? And Especially, it seems like every time I'm I'm interested in a plant, even if I know it, don't know it, some well, at the end of every episode, we've had a lot of our guests give plants that. I don't always know because they're from a different part of the country or it's something that's in our backyard I just hadn't heard of. So I'll go online, I'll Google it, and luckily one of the first results that always comes up is from a website, wildflower.org, and uh, and I never really knew what that was. It just happened to come up first, and the information looked really, really good, but we decided we want to pull back that curtain a little bit and show what wildflower.org actually is. And, uh, and it probably comes to no surprise to many of you, it's actually tied to the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center, which is in Austin, Texas. So we had two representatives from that organization on today, and that is Andrea DeLong Amaya and uh, and Joe Marcus, and they're going to tell us a lot about uh, what's going on in Austin, Texas, and then what you can find online as well. So Andrea and, and Joe, if you wouldn't mind giving probably a little bit better introduction than I just did, that would go. Uh, that would be great. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm Andrea DeLongamaya, and I'm the director of horticulture at the Wildflower Center. So my position is overseeing um, the gardens and the growing facilities. Um, I get to frolic in the gardens and look at plants all day. That's great. We, you know, I also, I've been with the center for, I just had my 23-year anniversary, and wow. Joe's right behind me. <laughs> congratulations. Wow, congratulations. That's, that's a wonderful milestone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's always a good indicator you're working in a good place. Yes. So that's one, thing, one of the things we've always 
prided ourselves on at Pylons Nurseries, the folks who've been here, all been here for for quite a long time in most cases. I guess so. it wouldn't be great if you had a different co-host like every three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. and, and Joe, how about yourself? Uh, I'm Joe Marcus. Uh, I have been here for just over 21 years now. Uh, we won't use the term deadwood in this conversation, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, Andre and I are two of the more senior uh, staff members, although my wife, who also works here at the center, has been here for 27 years. Wow! So, so we have we have a little bit of experience under our belts. Uh, I am the uh, program coordinator for Napona, the Native Plants of North America, which is the plant information part of our website. Awesome! Fantastic! Fantastic! So, for for our our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center or Wildflower dot uh, org, can can we backtrack a little bit and just talk? A little bit about the history of the Wildflower Center and just how it started and and where it's where it's at today. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to speak a little bit about that because um, uh, I love our history and and especially the history of our co-founder, uh, Lady Bird Johnson. Um, <clears throat> so it all started, uh, frankly, with her childhood in far northeast Texas in a little town called Karnak. Uh, where she fell in love with wildflowers, uh, and it was a lifelong love. And uh, she carried that on into the term of her husband, LBJ, as the president, and she was the first lady, and that was interpreted into into uh, the uh, beautification program that came out of, of his administration. Uh, after he passed in the early 70s, uh, this idea kept percolating in her mind, that turned into a vision and then she made that vision real. I think it was in 1984 on her birthday, her 70th birthday, uh, when she and her good friend, the actress Helen Hayes co-founded the national wildflower research center. And the idea was to do real research on America's North America's native plants. And, um, and, so that was founded, uh, and and through some uh, through her own seed money and money contributed by friends and associates of Mrs. Johnson, um, they uh, started this little this little uh, research center over in East Austin on the Colorado River, and immediately people started coming out and wanting to tour, wanting to find out what was going on, wanting to learn about what we were learning or the institution was learning there. And eventually they realized that they needed to have a, a formal education program and a formal outreach to the public and really a better facility. And so uh, about uh, 30 years ago, um, we moved, uh, no, that was, uh, yeah, cl- well, 27 years ago or so, we moved to the uh, current location. And shortly thereafter, the board, against Mrs. Johnson's wishes, changed the name of the organization to the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center in her honor. Um, uh, she was pretty modest. Um, so the idea of it, the idea of her vision was, I think, I think it can be, it can be pretty well described in a, in a couple of quotes that she gave. I'm very fond of her quotes because, one, she was very quotable, and, two, they reflected her vision. 
She said, wherever I go in America, I like it when the land speaks in its own language, in its own regional accent. Another way of saying that was native plants give us a sense of where we are in this great land of ours. I want Texas to look like Texas and Vermont to look like Vermont. And then a third quote along the same line was, I want us to know our world. If I lived in North Georgia on up through the Appalachians, I would be just as crazy about mountain laurel as I am about Texas blue bonnets. So I, I think that her vision was was to to encourage the world to look at things besides pansies and petunias and 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 ligustrum or uh, introduced species and and use utilize the uh, flora that we have in our own in our own backyards in the, in the forest growing behind us and in the fields growing across the way. That's really fantastic, and those were. Great quotes that I I'd read before, and then but I hadn't they didn't pop back into my mind until you started to recite them. They really resonate, and I know we go back to this episode a lot. But at one point, we we did a rooted discussion episode about gardening with native plants, mm-hmm. and our one of our guests was John McGee of McGee Designs, who also runs the Native Plant Podcast, and and he shared a story with us about was it an admiral he was doing. It was a, a former officer sure. in the um, that, a in very one of the, a military yeah. branch, and uh, and the guy did not like his immediate design. He wanted barbarian, yeah. and <laughs> he wanted barbarian Japanese hollies and things like that. And he was like, "How do I reach this gentleman to to let him know how important this message is?" And they were in Virginia, and like he's like something just clicked, and he was like, "You know, I like I I, I don't like foreign plants. I like plants that are American." Like I like Virginia plants <laughs> and it kind of – it it clicked. He goes, I don't want plants from Russia or, or China. I want I want plants that are – I want to celebrate what's Virginia. You know, it's like, patriotism. He, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, it spoke to him and, and he's like from that point onward, we had a different relationship. And you know, and he went on to talk about, hey, we're in a – you know, here in the northeast, it's, it's a deciduous forest and why not celebrate that? There's a lot of great fall color and a lot of – things to celebrate that why mm-hmm. wouldn't that's who we who we are yeah. and it's and and that's those are great quotes you know all of them to to speak on that another this, another yeah. thing that so i can I'm sorry. i can give you one more quote that speaks to that 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 you won't find written anywhere okay uh it was during the development of our site here at the current site at our botanical garden and mrs johnson was in a meeting with the landscape architects and the landscape architects turned to her and said Mrs. Johnson, what would you like for these gardens to look like? Sort of a basic question. Mrs. Johnson thought about it for a moment, and she said, I would like for them to look like God set them down there. Pretty, she That's, set a pretty high bar oh, to, yeah. to reach, but it, but it's been it's been um, it's been the lodestone for our garden design, and Miss and and Andrea has done a great job of 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 following that all these years uh, that that we really use native plants, only native plants, and in our gardens and and uh, and it's pretty naturalistic looking garden. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. The other thing that stuck out about that history was um was the timeline and i believe you said it was 1984 when uh i believe that started. was the year that she and founded it it's just uh it's one of the things i've always found interesting is our nursery was founded in 1984 and the, on the east coast there really only was one other nursery that started right around the same time that really focused on on native plants there were some other nurseries that started at the same time that kind of geared into native plants a little bit later 
And then uh, you look at some of the, like, I think Prairie Nursery formed right around the same time, maybe a little bit earlier. And it seems like something happened in the early 80s, late 70s that really kicked a lot of people into gear and said, hey, we got to start moving on this. Um, and, and, like, even Earns Conservation Seeds, another uh, big native plant producer on the East Coast. Now, they've been in business for a lot longer, but it was right around that time frame. That's when they really started to gear into to native plants, so... Maybe we got to start start an I, I investigative podcast and... into what what happened that, that made all these people do that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Andrea. Sure. No. Well, I was. I don't know if the situation is the same where you were, but I think for us in Texas, a lot of that happened around the same time, maybe even a little earlier. And I think that was really very much precipitated by the lack of precipitation and <laughs> just yeah. you know really fi- trying to find plants that do well that uh, with limited water resources. Um, it was a very practical thing. And then I think from that, you know, other people also realize that there are just some really cool plants out there that we want to play with. Yeah. I, I think we, when you look at the history of our business, I think a lot of it also tends to revolve around legislation, you know, clean water act. You, you, you'll see a lot of changes being made or, or Pinelands preservation uh, act, something like that. Just that that kind of kickstarts it a little bit and makes people aware, but it, it takes great people to, bring that to legislature to to make that realization come true like it's it's a long road sometimes to get those things to happen and a lot of obstacles to go through to make that that work uh before we get to it so it's it's i don't know what it was particular about that time but i'm glad it (laughs) i'm glad it happened um yeah i yeah, let me just say, for the sake of accuracy, I just looked it up. It was 1982. It was okay. when, uh, December of 1982 when we were originally founded. So yeah. just to just yeah, to get it right, right in that that time frame. So so yeah, like, exactly it, as we mentioned, kind of before you went on the air. As as we talk, we always come up with more questions. Of course, I've been scribbling furiously since we started <laughs> talking already. You know, even though it started where it started, it's really a national project it's not just a texas project it's it's a national how quickly did it expand past its its physical walls to kind of become what it is today yeah actually it's from the very beginning from from mrs johnson's vision and and to to facilitate that in the early days uh mrs johnson and her friends used to go on these fabulous famous historic trips all over the country, all over North America to see wildflowers. And there we have videos in our archives of, of their trips to all parts, all corners of America to see and appreciate wildflowers. And, and of course, staff, some staff went with them and they, they collected herbarium specimens. They collected seeds they brought things back and were doing research on all North American native plants. Now, our gardens here are strictly Texas natives. Mm-hmm. We have no natives. We have no native species out from outside of the state of Texas. But our research expands to include all of North America, including Canada, unfortunately excluding Mexico for technical reasons, although we hope to one day include Mexico in our outreach mm-hmm. also. Was there ever discussions to have more than one wildflower center, maybe in different parts of the country? Andrea? I don't recall no. ever having no. some of that discussion. Yeah. I was yeah, just curious. I, yeah. I think there have been, there have been some, 
some comments made about that over the years. Um, um, you know, there are there are a number of ladybird gardens around the country, okay. more All than right. you could imagine. Uh, many many places were were dedicated in her honor, and she, and fortunately, she was able to attend many of those dedications, and so her. Her vision touched people all across America. There is no doubt about that. Um, but as far as having um, satellite uh, um, facilities or research areas or gardens, uh, no formal that I know of, no formal uh, uh, plan has ever been made for that, although there has been some discussion, and it's certainly been on my mind over the years. Yeah, I was just. I think a lot of us just feel like, wow, our hands are full already. <laughs> <laughs> just getting up with what we already have. <laughs> yeah. Well, what kind of made me think about it? And, you know, we we forget really quickly because we're in our own little world in the Northeast here in New Jersey and, and we know what conservation is like or, or spreading the, the native plant message here. And it's sometimes we're willing to get a more receptive ear because of the amount of development that's happening here and the the losses of resources and and how maxed out we're we're getting here and i didn't know if that message differed in in texas or because we're not we you know it's a little bit of ignorance we're not there we don't know what's going on in that part of the world that's not where our you know we 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 grow plants for the the northeast so we don't we don't have any customers there we don't know so i didn't know if that you see a difference in in conservation efforts in different parts of the the country because of that. Yeah, I you know I think we're fortunate that we live in Austin, Texas, uh, which is a very environmentally conscious city in general, more than than other cities in the state and and in the region. Um, and so we have that, and and I think that that environmental consciousness is due in part to Mrs. Johnson's vision and her efforts and the efforts of the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center, but not totally. We just, nat- by nature, have a more environmentally conscious uh, community here. And there uh, is and a there- lot of development happening in our area, too. Yeah. Very fast <laughs> growing. No, that's fine. Uh, I totally agree with that. Um, and 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 there's great need for, for this message to go out. I remember a number of years ago, we had a horrible drought here, and we're always dealing with droughts in in Texas. And but this one was a two year drought. And at a, we have two plant sales each year, one in the spring and one in the fall. And our fall plant sale, two different couples came up to me during this plant sale, and they said almost identically, "Now we get it. Our non native landscape plants are dead, and our native ones are alive. <laughs> so we're here to buy some more native landscape plants." And that and that was a that was a very gratifying moment for me to to hear that because I knew that that the message that we were putting out there was valuable to people. Now I know you have the the physical presence of the Wildflower Center. How much how much of what is being done is research? Like I, I know you have the what you can go and see, but behind the scenes is is yeah. it a much larger picture as far as research goes? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So there's a pendulum in any organization that swings from one way to another, and sadly, the pendulum has swung away from research by and okay. large in All our right. institution. And a lot of that has to do with with the national the the natural progression of things, where people's careers move different directions, and and we lost key research staff over the years. Uh, we're really excited that uh, we're uh, we're 
actually standing up a new a new department soon in February with a brand new director who is a PhD, and and we're really excited that that uh, the science the science research and conservation um, aspect of our institution and its work are are will be moved more to the forefront. Okay. All right. And I, I want to apologize because I know I don't think we've asked any questions so far that we told you we were going to ask. <laughs> right. uh, but I'm so sorry. That that means that you have our full attention because we're mm-hmm. we're like little kids right now, like asking like, oh, you know, what about <laughs> yeah. this? You know, but even if the, the you know, as the pendulum swings on the forefront is in my uh, in my opinion, information and education. How how important is education in in what you do? How big of a part of your mission is that? So uh, education is is critical to our mission. It's uh, it's really it drives almost everything that we do, and that ranges everything everywhere from what you know you might expect from a botanical garden or a public garden. We do um, school groups um, will come and do tours. We have docent led tours for the public, the general public. Um, we have uh, professional and adult classes as well. Um, so that's really a big piece of it. Um, a lot of the outreach stuff, like we're going to be talking about, I think, in a few minutes, the uh, um, our website and a lot of the things that we have on there. Um, but I also think it's important that, um, you know, what we're trying to do with the gardens is use the gardens also as an education uh, platform. It's beautiful, and it's intended to be um, obviously beautiful, but as people walk through, um, we hope that they'll learn some stuff too, even if it's just to stop and watch something happen, like, oh, that flower petal opens up really fast, you know, I can watch this flower open right in front of me, or what kind of insects are coming to it, um, or just whatever might be happening in the gardens that would catch someone's attention and, and connect them more with the natural world. That's really... That's education, not didactic education, but just a way for people to interact and experience new things. Um, that's, to me, so critical. One of the things I find wonderful about the Wildflower Center is people become interested, and we we have this talk throughout the, the lifespan of the podcast about letting people start at their own pace and get interested and trying to find what their gateway is and let them evolve over time. But eventually they get to the point where I think some people think of native plants and nature and there's a disconnect. That That's something that can't happen on my yard. You have to go to a natural area to, to see native plants and they don't know how to garden with native plants. But here is a place that they can visit that's gardened with native plants and get ideas of – that it, it doesn't have to be wild and it doesn't have to be over there. This is something that can occur – on my own property. Um, and it's so critical. I think that's so <laughs> yeah. important because people have such different opinions about what their gardens should look like or their landscapes. And, you know, some people like a shared hedge and uh, you know, a cleaner look. And we know a lot of people really love just wild and crazy stuff too. <laughs> Everything in between. <laughs> and you can have both. And, and, and yeah, or yeah. you can have both or either or. It's, it's, I, I think a lot of people don't know where to start. And is you know, I, I would imagine that as visitors come in, you're 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 seeing that evolution saying, oh, well, I this isn't what I imagined. You mean I can do this? How do I do this? And is that something that there's outreach or programs that can help people that that want to learn more and, and do more like this on their own properties? Yeah. Um, in addition to like the garden classes that we offer here on site, one of the um, 
benefits of the pandemic that I think a lot of people have, have uh, you know, benefited from is just being able to do things virtually. So we were teaching over the last couple of years, we've been teaching uh, classes online. Um, we also have like a lunchtime, you know, chat with the gardener. Um, and, and that's a much more informal kind of experience. But it's, you know, what's happening in the gardens right now? What are we doing? And, you know, a lot of people are finding that kind of even if they can't be here on site, um, maybe they're, you know, for COVID reasons or other health reasons, but there's always been a challenge getting people to our site. You know, they're, they may not live in the near area, but they are still close enough to benefit from the information that we have to offer. So that's been really a nice way to, to present them. Awesome. All right. So, um, for visitors, and you, and you mentioned one of the challenges is getting, like, like any, any place is getting people to to where you're physically at um do you have like are you finding that most of your visitors are they are they local or are they really coming from a large distance to to come and see the wallflower center that that is an interesting um issue that we have probably two-thirds of our visitors that come in the springtime and I don't know percentage-wise how many of them for, are from out of town, but that is definitely the higher percentage is, is from out of town. And uh, just people want to see blue bonnets, right? <laughs> um, blue bonnets. <laughs> but, you know, the fall is so beautiful here, too, that uh, we do get another big bump in the fall with, with guests coming. Um, and, yeah, that's a lot of fun. To, but I would say that most of our visitors that come in the – Winter and summer are mostly going to be local, mm-hmm. and I think but, you know it varies. I, I would imagine, but I think one of the the greatest things that that has been done is even though you can't always get people to you, is that you can get to them. And with wildflower dot org, there is so much information that so many people use on a daily basis, and sometimes I think they don't even really know where that information is coming from or what it's a part of. But how did that database come about? How did how did that part of your organization come into existence? Right. So I can speak to that a little bit since this is what I do. Okay. Um, from the very beginning of the organization, from the earliest meetings that they had, brainstorming and decision-making about what was this institution going to do, one of the things that they determined to do was to have a, a way to reach out to the public with native plant information. And so a, uh, some pretty brilliant people uh, organized a cadre of volunteers to begin um, collecting, organizing, and archiving hard copy information about native plants. And, and we had a, a series of file drawers. This was pre-electronics now. This was in the old hard copy days. And so these files grew and, and it was a, there were tens of thousands of documents that were filed in these file drawers under different topics. So that if you had a question about something having to do with native plants, you could go to these file drawers and and find out what what information we had this this effort went on for years 
And it became known as the Clearinghouse. That was its name, the Clearinghouse. Um, in nineteen or in two thousand and um, we're in twenty two now. Two thousand and two, a gentleman came on board. His name was Dr. Damon Waite. Uh, he's now the director of North Carolina Carolina Botanic Garden. Um, he had an education background. He had botany. He was a botanist and taught botany at Georgetown or Southwestern University in Georgetown. And he also had a very interest, a strong interest in websites and, and databases. And so he looked at the plant information uh, resources that we had. And he said, you know, we can database this and, and we can put this on a website. At the time, our website was just newly formed. It was awful. And, uh, and so he said, we can do something with this. And over a period of about a year, um, he turned his vision into the reality that, that he named Native Plants, Native Plant Information Network, NIPN, or NPIN, as many people understood it. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, we began, and not long after that, um, I moved over from our horticulture department full-time into the NIPN department, and I was his assistant. And, and we worked on building that database and all of its various components. And new people would say, well, why don't we do this? And a month later, it was created and online. Um, and so it grew and grew to uh, what, it, what it basically is today. Uh, so that's that was sort of how, how the, the institution, uh, how our native plant information uh, efforts uh, became reality. And how, how quickly did you realize how, how often people were using it? Well, uh, early on, we, you know, it was sort of the uh, field of dreams thing. You build it, they will come. <laughs> and we just assumed that they would. But when we began looking at, me- uh, at metrics, we learned that uh, they really were coming. So we get several million visitors each year to our website and we know which parts of the website they visit and I'm proud and gratified to say that that Napona which is native plants of North America now which used to be Nippon uh, is is um, is far and away the most visited part in the various parts of it the database the image gallery is actually the most visited part the uh, the database and the uh, Ask Mr. Smarty Plants service uh, <laughs> with more than ten thousand questions and answers on it is the second most visited. That's now you, you talked about its evolution of of how it started and and how it got to where it's at now. Is there a, a next phase of the evolution that we don't see yeah. yet where it's going? Yeah, well there is, there is a there is a next phase that. Uh, I, I've actually been working on now for several months, uh, putting together a plan for um, uh, an upgrade to to uh, Napona. Um, and it, by and large, it's going to be improvements to the UXUI. Um, not so much. Not. I, I would say. I would say it'll definitely look different, uh, and we hope to roll this out in the coming year. Uh, plan to roll it out in the coming year. It'll look different. Uh, we hope that it will be much more user-friendly, that, that our users will be able to find things more easily. One of the problems that we have with, with the resource is that there are so many components to it 
that people have a hard time. I even have a hard time nav- navigating it at times, and I use it all the time. So, so uh, we hope to make it more user friendly. Uh, and then my dream is to greatly expand the amount of information on the site. And in addition to the number of images on the site, um, uh, you know, I want to see it go north of a million images at some point. Wow, that's wow. a that's a great that's a great goal. I would love to see that too. Well, so the so the million images is not just a uh, grabbing a number out of the air. There's actually a good reason for that. So one of the things about our image gallery that we get a lot of comments about, and, and especially gratifying, is comments from researchers, where they'll call me or email me and say, "You know, I found a picture of a plant park on your image gallery that I have found nowhere else, and it was exactly the photograph that I needed to to see this thing." And, and that makes me happy when I hear that. So the idea is for all 25,000 plus North American native plant taxa, I want to have a 40 or 50 pictures that basically describe that species or that, that taxon. So and, that's, and that's, it comes out to a million. And that is so important because I, I like to play a little game here where we'll Google search a native plant and we'll click on images and we'll count how many photos you have to go through before you found an incorrect image. <laughs> and it, it a lot of times it's within five or, or, or ten. And it's there's so much information out there that's that's bad information or misinformation that it, it's nice to have and you know, somewhere that you can go that you know you're going to find the correct thing or or find something that you can't find anywhere else. And and that's invaluable. Yeah. Well, and then full dis- full disclosure, we are not perfect. We're, we're, <laughs> my, my goal is, my goal is a perfect database. Uh, I know it's a pipe dream, uh, and and there have always been errors on our database. There have often been misidentified things in our database. Uh, we've taken measures to to keep that from happening, uh, but occasionally one slips through and. Our users are awesome, and they'll contact us when they notice it and let us know, and we're so thankful for that. Yeah, and uh, I, I was going to add that it's also I, it's something I use with the images because you'll have, um, I'm thinking of some of the asters where they'll look fairly similar. And when you yeah. only have one in front of you and you're trying to identify, it can be pretty tough. But uh, for me personally, it's it's really easy to go through images and say, well, I think it's one of these two, and then I can compare and contrast to known images of those those species, and then you can help identify those. But uh, my real question would be, how do you get, like you guys are in Texas, how do you get pictures from plants that are all over North America um, from trusted sources? Yeah, so a good example of that, uh, well, we do. And, and a good example is a, a retired a state biologist in Arizona just uh, uh, shared with us about 26,000 images of Ari- mostly Arizona native plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's very knowledgeable, pretty good botanist. Uh, and and uh, we're finding that, that his IDs are really excellent. Not all of our contributing photographers and all of our images are contributed by users, by people mm-hmm. from all over North America. Um, uh, not all of them are great plant identifiers. And so, uh, I, I, when, when Dr. Waite was still here, I was frustrated about this one day and I went into his office and I said, look, I don't want to publish any more pictures. If I 
I can't identify them to being what they are. And he said, okay. And so ever since then, and that, that was 10 or 12 years ago, uh, we have not identified, we have not published any pictures that I personally could not say, yes, I think that is correct. Now, can, am I infallible? Absolutely not. But uh, I will say that most of the corrections we've had were for images that were taken before that time. So, but yes, people, Montana, uh, Alaska, Washington, the Northeast, uh, there's a photographer in Georgia that just does amazing work, uh, Alan Kressler. Uh, we have thousands of his images up um, there. Um, uh, there was a uh, professor, Wasowskis, who sadly have both passed. Uh, they they uh, lived in New Mexico at the end of their life. Uh, there was a, uh, a professor uh, in Maryland for many years uh, who allowed us to use his images, and they were from all over North America. Um, and so, so yes, we have pictures. We have the you know a large percentage of our pictures are in Texas, uh, as you would expect. Uh, but uh, we actually have photographs from all over in our contributors, and 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 it's sort of snowballing. It's it's becoming such a thing now as more people do digital images that that um, uh, it's almost becoming more work than I can handle. To, you know, <laughs> uh, all the all the folks that want to contribute images to us, and and it's. It's so difficult even if you're knowledgeable just because so many plants – some some plants are so rare that there's only a handful that survive that so many people have seen that, that can positively ID it. But even if it's something you do every day – we had a very humbling experience probably about 10 years ago where we were supplying a project. And 95 percent of what we grow is from seed that we collect ourselves. So the propagators are pretty aware of the wild communities. And the job required that a botanist had to come out to positively ID everything as correct to name. That's great. And he found one instance where one of our sedge crops – I can't remember. It was Carex vulpinoidea was mixed with another Carex, and we couldn't – It was a Carex. Yeah, and, and we're like, well, how – You know, can you explain to us how you – because we need to know for our seed collection where we're collecting because we're collecting from different communities – and it, it literally came down to the the length of the the seed stalk of how we knew and, and just from that we were able to to locate where we corrected the collected the incorrect seed. But we would have never had noted I mean they were that close, they take the same conditions, but still we were selling something that wasn't necessarily true to name. Mm -hmm. But then right. once that happened, we're like, hey, can you look at <laughs> – we're like, while you're here, because he came from, I think, Indiana. We're like, while you're here, we'd like to show you like five or six other things. you know. But even though like there's only so many people that can really point that out or help you, like you're collecting what you think you know to be true. In a lot of cases, you are, but it's – there's human error, and, and, and the populations change, and it's it's so hard to, to really know that. It's not – Something you could just look in a book and get all the answers. Right. Well, Tom mentioned um, the asters. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's at the point where I almost don't want to accept image contributions for plants and asteraceae unless they've taken pictures of the involucres, close up, high resolution pictures of the involucres and fillories back there, because without that, very especially with the asters, it's very difficult. To uh, identify two species uh, with with you know confidence that this is what they say it is, uh, and so and I and I stress that with my contributing photographers, turn that 
head over and shoot the bottom of the of the flower head, the capitulum. So, Tom, did you have something? Yeah, I cut I, you off. I did, and it was um, basically I just wanted to get into that the plant database is only a small part of your website, and you alluded to some of the things and, and named some of the other things before, but. What are some of the other things that are featured on your website, and what's one or two things that you think people are really missing out on uh, with the website? Yeah, so uh, actually, uh, uh, Tom and I had a conversation, a little conversation about this uh, a day or two ago. Uh, one of the things, one of the services that we provide free of charge to anybody out there who, who is, is qualified is a supplier's directory. Uh, there's also an organizations directory for nonprofits and for institutions and for governmental agencies that that have a uh, uh, native plant or conservation focus. But we have a suppliers directory that that any nursery or seed company or consultant or or uh, other is, uh, business that works with native plants primarily can list themselves on. We don't charge anything for it. We also don't, uh, you don't get spam. We don't sell this information. It's strictly a service. It's a good deal for, for suppliers, for nurseries, et cetera. And, and so um, not many people know about that. And, and the, the search function on it uh, allows you to enter your state or your location and, and then find the, uh, the nurseries or suppliers that are closest to you. So that's a good example of, of uh, a service that's that's on our site or a resource that's on our site that probably not many people know about that in this coming permutation of of Napona will be much more easily found. And I'll attest that that works really well too because uh, we have a listing and then I have a, a another retail business um, where we I basically sell Pinelands Nursery plants online with another business called Pinelands Direct, and I had put that listing on on your guy's website. And I think within like five minutes, I had a phone call of someone looking for a particular plant <laughs> and awesome. going through and I'm like another phone call, another phone call, another phone call. And within 15 minutes wow. I had like three or four phone calls. I'm like, where are all these people getting my number? <laughs> <laughs> then I realized, Oh, it's cause I added it to this, this website. That's and uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I had to take it off because my phone just, <laughs> just kept ringing. But yeah, if it's very gratifying to hear. Yeah. For, uh, for, uh, nurseries and, and seed producers and people who haven't gotten on that database yet, the, the supplier database, that is a, a really uh, great place to be because it's highly trafficked. And that's always one of the biggest complaints we get from people that are just starting out as a homeowner trying to evolve their properties. They can't find material. They don't know where to look. And I know you know, awareness is changing over time and, and garden centers and what they carry. But it's still like as they get more in depth, there's there's things they want that they just can't find and they never know where to look. And they I, it's a it's a big source of frustration. So if you can cure that frustration, that's a wonderful tool. So one of the things going back to the actual center that um, I think we might have skipped over a little bit is when people come to visit, what they can can they look forward to seeing um, other than the, the bluebells? And what are they missing? <laughs> yeah. What what and, is yeah, something? Yeah, something they're missing there too. Well, I don't know what they're missing. Um, I would joke they're probably missing pansies or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, when we when we welcome people to the Wildflower Center to see the gardens, um, you know, people can expect to see a variety of native plants used in different kinds of um, 
settings. Some of the exhibits are more, you know, regional. Like here's a, an example of things that you might find in South Texas. You know, we are in Central Texas in a part of the state that we call the Hill Country, and so we really focus more of our collections and our garden uh, exhibits on plants that are from our particular uh, vegetational region. Um, but we have things from all over the state, as Joe had mentioned earlier. But I think, you know, some of the things that we have, aside from the regional areas, uh, we have an, uh, an edible native plants garden, taste of place, because it's so much yeah. about, you know, how the, your local area, what the flavors come out of the ground, you know, that are growing on these plants. Uh, and that's a, that's a pretty fun thing to, um, to be able to share with our guests, mm-hmm. and, um, connect people with their taste, sense of taste. Um, and then in our theme gardens, we the theme gardens is a series of smaller beds um, in each box. Each of those beds has a different story to tell. And some of them, um, one of them is a plants that are named after famous botanists who did work in Texas. And so it's a little bit of a history lesson as well as a botanical display. Um, and uh, so really, it's, it's quite a variety of things that people can see. Um, I, from an aesthetic perspective, you know, I just, I love the palette that we have to play with. Um, some people feel like, oh, you know, if I'm using native plants, it's really a limiting thing. But I don't know, if you've ever done art, like you have a blank canvas, and sometimes having a little bit narrower selection of tools to use can actually make your job a little bit easier. Sometimes it makes it more challenging. But I find that part of the challenge of using native plants is how do you make them look good all the time, but you don't have, like, you know, thousands and thousands of plants to pick from. You can uh, learn a smaller palette of, of plants to uh, to play with. But um, Texas is a big state, and we have a lot of species. You know, we're kind of this funnel between um, North America going down into Central America, and so a lot of diversity happens in the state. So for us, we're particularly lucky, I think, to play with that. Um, and we have beautiful rocks. <laughs> um, you know, the rocks have a nice statement in the gardens as well. Mm-hmm. So. Do you is you know when I when I think of native plants and and native areas, you think of naturally contributing to the food web. And I love the 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 whole idea of the taste of place. But do you actually have an issue with wildlife uh, coming in because the plants native plants want to do their job and contribute to that. I would imagine that you see a, a major difference in in pollinator uh, habitat and and pollinators that visit are are animals an issue coming in and 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 do they like coming in and wreaking havoc? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we have a little bit of a problem with deer, not as bad as some folks might, mm-hmm. uh, but they definitely creep in and they have their favorites that they like to nibble on. Um Interestingly, we last year we had a really bad problem with armadillos, mm-hmm. um, which uh, when guests were able to see them, they're mostly active at night. Um, but it, during the day, if people happen to get to see them, that was pretty cool and actually made it almost worth it. Um, but the fact that they're mostly doing their damage at night and then we come <laughs> in the morning and just, oh, we got to replant all this stuff. Ah. <laughs> that's a little uh, that's a little frustrating. And rabbits like certain things, but. But on the other hand, you know, we have a wonderful selection of bird life, um, insects in general. We have a group of volunteers that come every week and do a survey of what they see. And so that's been going on for, I don't know, eight or 10 years now. Um, And so we have a really great documentation of uh, the flora, I'm sorry, the fauna that have been seen throughout the years. And um, we have quite a good species list going on. What kind of vol- and butterflies and dragonflies? You know, we're really known for being a 
wonderful place to come and watch butterflies as well as birds. Awesome. What kind of uh, you, you mentioned volunteers? What kind of volunteer opportunities are there for for someone that wants to get involved and volunteer and learn more? Yeah, we have volunteers in almost every aspect of the wildlife. So um, we work with um, volunteers in the horticulture department quite a lot. We rely on them heavily. We really appreciate the, the hands that they bring, um, and that is working in the gardens as well as in the nursery. Uh, they help us out in the natural areas as well. Um, with education programming, we have um, people come in and help us in the gift store. Joe has helpers that um, work on database stuff and um, really kind of anything, you know, and sometimes we'll make a particular, you know, somebody comes to us with a set of skills and we'll figure out how to put them to use. Is there, and I wanted to talk, you know, a, a couple of the things we wanted to ask was just about awareness, but I know this is an interesting thing and it may not be something easy to answer too, but like, is there opposition? Like this message is a great message and it's a message that we try to share far and wide, but it also goes against a lot of industry that's, that's business that would prefer you to have more turf or more use more fertilizer chemicals and things like that. And there's, you know, we talk about all the time, there's a lot more money behind that. So we see more of that information being spread than, than this type of information. Do you ever, come across any opposition or, or, or information that is hard to overcome when you're trying to, to, to teach or educate, but it's, it's like a wall that people can't seem to get over with what they've been told or, or, or seen on TV or read or, or their neighbors do. I think using native plants in general, that's, that's a hurdle that we uh, haven't quite overcome. completely. I mean, we have, a lot of people who are 100% sold, um, but there are a lot of people that just, um, you know, they, they get, uh, you know, succulents are really popular right now, for example, or just, you know, people plant what they see. And a lot of the landscape companies, they don't know the native plants as well or how to maintain them, even if they might be familiar with what they look like. And I think that's a really uh, a big, you know, the landscape companies that are doing commercial landscapes, that's the most visible thing that people see. But they're all about bottom line, really. It's yeah. They're not plant passionate plant people, right? Yeah. And so I think that's one of the important roles that public gardens have is to use native plants in ways that people might want to use them in their own landscapes. That's We, we find that probably one of the most challenging things. It's it's you, you have people getting information from two different sides, and they're not really sure which one is to believe, you know. And it's it's you see less native plants more often, so it's kind of like when you're the one trying to teach change, which really isn't change. It's 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 just take, taking a step back. It it you know it's it's hard sometimes. You're the one that seems less credible, you know. And I didn't know if if that was something that, that you see, or even an awareness. Do you, have you found since this has started that your clientele is more knowledgeable on native plants that you see coming through? Um, I haven't noticed really that changing too much. Um, I mean, there's always a contingency of people that are very knowledgeable about native plants, ranging from people who don't know about, about plants at all. And that that's definitely the role that we see playing is to, help educate people and uh, introduce them to these plants. Um, I don't feel that there's a lot of 
controversy or conflict over it. I think it's mostly about um, just not being familiar with it. Maybe a little bit of a, an aesthetic shift. You know, people come from other parts of the country and then they see the Texas Hill Country. One of the things that I find is ironic is people move here and say, oh, it's so beautiful here. And then they scrape the lot and build a new house and then they put in, you know, Italian cypress or something. <laughs> and it's like, well, that beautiful place was there and um, now you want to put it back, which is great. And, um, you know, if we can help people replant some of those plants back, uh, that would make me, you know, whenever that happens, it's it's really a thrill. We oh, we, we see that here. One of the, being as close as we are to the, the Atlantic Ocean, we have all these people saying, this is beautiful. I'm going to buy a house on the beach. And then they take it and they strip all the all the protective infra, green infrastructure that was there and and strip it down to nothing so they can have a better view, mm-hmm. and then their house gets damaged on the first nor'easter yeah. comes through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you they know, fall into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but going back to what I was saying earlier too, that I think it's really important um, to address that is to really show how native plants can be used in a variety of garden styles. You know, if people want something that looks a little bit more um, tidy or um, traditional you can do that with native plants it's not the it's not the plant selection that dictates so much what the style is it's not whether they're native plants or not for the most part it's really how the space is designed and also how it's maintained you know you can have a very formal design but if the maintenance isn't happening um, it's not going to look like the original vision and I think that's one of the mistakes that a lot of people assume that oh if I'm using native plants I can just stick it in the ground and walk away and it'll all be groovy uh Maybe, you know, those plants may survive, but that's gardening. You know, if you want something that looks nice, just like you would with any plant, whether it was native or not native, you do want to take some care with it. And otherwise it won't, it'll, it will just look like a, you know, a lot of plants. And if that's what you want, great. But if it's not, then you have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have advice that you would give to someone that's starting out that's just getting interested in native plants? They they hear about it and they they don't know a whole lot and they're like I I want to I want to start where where do I start or is there is there any one piece of advice you would give to to someone that's now eager to learn of of about native plants? If they're in Texas, um, please come see us at the Wildflower Center <laughs> uh, and check out our website. But that um, you know all of that information that's on Napona is also really useful for people anywhere. Um, but if you're not in Texas. Um, you know, if you can connect with your local native plant societies or check out your public gardens, a lot of the um, public gardens have native plants in their displays somehow. Um, so I think those are some great ways to, to approach it. Awesome. Yeah, I have a, I have a comment about that. So <clears throat> I have a gardening, I have a lot of philosophies, gardening philosophy being among them. Um, and my gardening philosophy goes as this. I like to garden by trying stuff. Um, and, and, but you know, if you try it and it works, then one, that plant belonged there. And, and two, you did something right. Think about it. Then if you try something that didn't work, probably the plant didn't belong there or you did something wrong. Think about that and then learn from your mistakes. And I think that, that that's the joy of gardening is trying stuff. And, and, and finding the things that work for you, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we'll have people come out here making notes, walking through our gardens, making notes, and they're designing their landscapes, you know, and, and some of the best advice I ever heard was, 
you know, live with your landscape for a while before you start changing it and think about it. And, and, and I think that's pretty good advice. That's great advice. Yeah, I need really to do is. that more <laughs> myself, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one of the things that we always find interesting whenever we're talking to someone that, that is spreading great message and talking about native plants is just how you got into native plants yourself. How, what was your path that took, led you to where you're at right now? Um, and we looked at both of you that just that, you know, it's, it's always interesting for, for such great people doing such great work. Just how did you find that, that, that in yourself to do this? It's for me, it started like, I think with a lot of people that are doing similar work, which is as a child, you know, I had uh, a parent in particular, my dad would uh, take me fishing or hiking or camping. We lived in a rural area. So my babysitter was the woods. That is home for me, and, you know, I think that that's one of the biggest struggles with our, you know, our younger generations is that as we become more and more urban, people don't see the value or the connection, the emotional connection. They might understand it intellectually, oh, we need to save the planet, but to really feel it in your heart is hard to, it's hard to foster that if you haven't been there, if you haven't really lived with plants and really been um, part of the outdoor natural world. Um, so I am so appreciative that I've had that experience. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny cause even civilization today connect differently than they did in, in when I was younger, like people, people meet online, they chat via phone or text. Um, you know, I, I find as someone that likes to talk, <laughs> I find that the art of conversation is is slowly becoming. I I don't want to say a lost art. It's it's changed um, because people are communicating. It's just a different type of communication. So it's even that connection has changed, like you said, over time with with that connection in nature because nature keeps changing based on on how we influence it. So um, it's it's nice to see that that played a part in you that never left. And, and you can help connect people with that lost connection today. And I see public gardens, and I'll speak to the Wildflower Center in particular, I see it as sort of the gateway drug. People who aren't experienced in being out in nature, it feels like a, a safe place to come. You know, it's a cultivated space. There's the hand of people, you know, uh, so it's not totally wild, but we do have wildlife. And, you know, my hope is that as kids, but even adults, as they come to a place like the start to see some of the plants that we have on display and then go out to, say, the Greenbelt here in Austin. They might take a hike uh, along the creekside or something and say, oh, there's some Turks cap. I saw that at the Wildflower Center. Mm. And start to make that connection. And, and the more familiar it feels, the less um, scary it feels. And that's, that's what I'm, I hope that for those people that can really become more comfortable being outside and then take that the next step further by really spending more Awesome. Joe, how about you? Well, I sort of inherited my interest in plants. Uh, my Both my grandfather and my father were born plantsmen, uh, brilliant plantsmen, truthfully, and they were nurserymen. So I grew up in the nursery business, and and uh, I removed myself as far as I could from nursery and plant business for a while when I was growing, when I was first growing. And, but after a while, that 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 interest that seed that had been planted to me started to grow, and so ultimately, 
I uh, ended up going in the nursery business myself or working in the nursery industry and wholesale uh, nursery, but not native plant growing. And um, I didn't really, I didn't have a specific interest in native plants, honestly, until I came to the Wildflower Center and started working in this, in this milieu. Uh, and, and I didn't really get sold out on it entirely until I'd been here for a while and, uh, and sort of, sort of adopted Mrs. Johnson's vision. She's, she's a hero to me. And, and so that was, that was really what did it for me. And, um, and so I'm, I'm glad I'm here. It's, it's, it's funny, even like I, I've been at Pinelands Nursery for 15 years. And before that, I was in ornamental hort for, for 15 years. And it's, it's funny that even though I had been here for a while, it didn't hit me the way that it's hit me. It, it still took some time. It wasn't immediate. Like you understood and you got it. But like those small little changes probably took me a good, you know, seven years, eight years before it was like, wait a second, you know, this isn't just a, a job. This isn't just what I do. This is a part of who I am. And it, it's and that's why we always talk about just letting people evolve at their own rate. It takes, you know, I it I didn't wake up. You know, I haven't been a native plant person my entire life. I had to evolve to get to it. You have to give everyone that same opportunity to to witness that. But um, what would you say your favorite or most interesting part of your job is? Oh, I can I can speak to that because I tell people this all the time. <laughs> uh, and actually, so when I came here, I was 44 and wondering what I was going to do when I grew up <clears throat> uh, because I had done a lot of different things over the years. And, and I, I, I really liked, and in some cases loved all of the jobs that I had for a little while or some time. And then I came to not appreciate them so much anymore and had to go do something else. And it wasn't until I arrived at the wildflower center that I finally identified what, what it was that it took for me to be happy in my, in my career and to, um, um, what it was that the wildflower center gave me. And that was the opportunity to learn. Uh, I'm not saying this is the answer for everybody, but for me, it's easily by far and away the most important aspect of my job for me, for my happiness is learning. And I learn every day in my job. That's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. All my words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've had people ask me, well, you've been at the wildfire center so long. How, are you not bored yet? And no, it's changing all the time. I'm always learning something. And and honestly, I'm learning stuff about, you know, how to, you know, how to make decisions and planning and, you know, the bigger picture kind of pieces of running an organization, um, a, a public garden. But, but definitely just every time I walk out outside and, you know, I talk with the gardeners, I talk with our volunteers or guests and people are pointing out different things. And it's just fascinating. I mean... Nature is pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I think I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I probably <laughs> can speak for you. One of the things for Tom and I, when the podcast started, you know, we're like, well, we're not really experts. We want to bring the experts on. And it's so humbling how much I didn't know and how much mm-hmm. there is still to learn. Like originally we thought, oh, you know, like how many topics can you cover? And then the podcast kind of shifted to changed to all the things we wanted to learn about. <laughs> so we want to learn about green roofs this week. We want to learn about this this week, and it just keeps 
growing and growing and growing and it's it's almost like a a drug almost like oh what else can we learn about like and it's like a college course for us we get mm-hmm. to, i think your your dad said that oh, like yeah. you're getting to speak to some of the best minds you're getting a lecture every week on on some of the from from some of the best people in the industry yeah. and, and in some cases we have college professors and we're getting <laughs> a lecture but no it's it's a friends right it's been amazing um to, uh, even talking to you guys as well but talking to so many people through this podcast and learning not just about how native plants interact um in in with different um outcomes i guess is the right way to put it but uh, that they can be used for different things but then how they're used for in different parts of the country and the different plants that are in different parts of the country. It's uh, this venture that we went on has lasted a lot longer and gone in way further directions than I ever expected it to. And it's really been enlightening and we've learned so much and we're always looking forward to, uh, well, what else can we learn about? And, and uh, cause if we're interested in it, there's a good chance that someone else is inter- interested in it as well. So yeah, it's been cool. And some of the most fun, like I, I feel with this, you know, you can see like the amount of questions I'm scribbling down as we go. Like when when you can turn us into little kids and and pique our interest <laughs> to where we have a million questions, they're always the the most fun. You know, yeah. because we're learning and we're hoping that everyone else is is learning with us. Yeah, so. I do have a. Well, it's actually more of a personal question, but what is going on at um, at the Wildflower Center in February? Is there much to see at that time of year? <laughs> Are you coming down to Austin? I'm, I'm not going to be in Austin, but I won't be. At least I don't think it's too far away. Texas is a bigger state than I always give it credit for. I know it's big, but then I'm like, oh yeah, Houston and what's it called? That, that's not too Houston, Dallas. They're not that far apart, and then you find out miles it's like four hours away from each other. I'm used to little old New Jersey where everything's within two hour drive. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, I won't be too far away. So I was just wondering, is there much to see there that time of year? Are you saying specifically the Wildflower Center or just in Texas? Uh, no, in the, at the Wildflower Center. Um, well, it will be probably pre-Blue Bonnet season. Mm-hmm. Usually in February, though, depending on the weather, we start getting a little bit of flowers. You know, We have yeah, some little cool. windflower anemones that start popping up, and that's kind of fun. And mm-hmm. It depends a lot on the weather. Um, of course, we have you know lots of birds that are in the area. Um, one of the things that I love so much about the plants that we have are a lot of the grasses mm-hmm. and by then a lot of them are already cut back uh, to make space for the new growth in the spring but a lot of them will still be standing um, we have beautiful formed grasses like some of the muley grasses and switchgrass um, and you know we don't have a lot of native conifers but we have other native uh, broadleaf evergreen plants that um, give some structure and texture and different shades of green and brown um, so I think those are all really beautiful. I, I think that the Wildflower Center is really beautiful in the wintertime, and it's a it's a calm kind of beauty, but uh, it's still, I think, pretty lovely. Very cool. Are you going to uh, go? That's awesome. Are oh, you- I'm trying to figure out <laughs> how far yeah. how far my meeting is from there. And then I have some friends that I've made through, uh, through our business with, um, well, you guys probably know them, with uh, Native American Seed down mm-hmm. uh, not I don't think that's too far away from you. So maybe it's. It's a little further from where my meeting is than I thought, but if I can swing by there too, and then I can make it an extra, I'll add an extra day to the trip. Yeah, that's a business <laughs> me. I think that's a business venture yeah, yeah, that yeah. you should probably take. <laughs> so, so we yeah, all, I have to do that. So we always wrap it up with with the same question, and you know, we at the time that we started this, 
it was more informational when we asked this. We didn't realize how – even though it's such a simple question, how difficult of a question this is for our guests. Sometimes it's the hardest question we ask, um, and that is what is your favorite native plant? <laughs> I, I saw you cringe. <laughs> Joe, you want to start? <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I can I can start on that. Um, so the stock answer is it's the one that I'm dealing with right now, whatever <laughs> that one is. Uh, however, so I grew up in North Georgia in the foothills, of the Appalachians, and so so uh, certain certain plants uh, really uh, live in my heart, in my memory, uh, and and they are the plants that grew along the Tallapoosa River that ran through our farm. Um, and, uh, I probably, you know, probably would have to list about four, uh, Calmia latifolia, mountain laurel would be up there. There was nothing more spectacular than the, than the stand of Calmia that we had along the river in the spring, uh, foam flowers, uh, uh, cordifolia is, is a favorite always growing next to the foam flower was beetleweed, Galax or Ciolata, among my very favorite plants. I love those, those glossy green leaves and sometimes reddish and, and those flowers. Uh, but probably the very top of my list, there were sandbars. It was a fairly small river and it had a lot of sandbars in it. And then growing in those sandbars occasionally were some cardinal flowers, Lavilia cardinalis. And that's probably the very top of my list. Showy, beautiful, uh, with a with a with a deadly side to it and and uh, but but yeah that's that's cardinal flower would be at the top of my list. That's a great. No, choice. I do have to ask, what's the the deadly side with? Oh, it's poisonous. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's why I haven't tried to eat it. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah don't, red, don't try eating. Don't take try it. chewing. Cardinal gotcha, flower. gotcha. Take the red uh, flower. The red color is a <laughs> that danger warning. Yeah, that's some good news for your your enemies, though. But <laughs> I I love that one is when you're getting people interested. You know, if you if you want to attract hummingbirds, you know, mm-hmm. especially in our area, that's you know we'll get a ton of hummingbirds yeah. on ours, and and the neighbors are always like, oh, what's that? Why why are they going to that? And that's it's a nice one to at least transition people to. Plus, we've, we've that, been accused of stealing all the hummingbirds in New Jersey because we have a, a whole seed field of it. Andrea, it's you. You have to answer now. I, I will say this: we we we're not strict, so you don't have to pick one. You can give multiple. Uh, it's it's we're not, and and that answer can change. If we were to interview or talk to you again in a year from now, it, it we're not saying this is your one choice for life. So we're we're we understand. And it does change from moment to moment because <laughs> I am also very much like Joe in that it has so much to do with what's in front of my face. Um, and if a plant is looking healthy, uh, that's a you know that's a really good sign. I think plants, animals, anything that looks healthy is always beautiful in some way. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's just the the life and the happiness that can be expressed through something that is healthy. Um, I'm going to back up just a little bit, and even though this is not a native plant, I'm going to confess that I love antique roses. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I wouldn't say that my favorite plants, though, but I'm just going to get that out and error that out just now, so people know. You know. I, and I understand, you know, even though, you know, we all have our guilty pleasures. Like we say all the time, <laughs> like we're not pristine perfect when it comes to this. I actually at one point in one of my past professions, I worked for one of the top three rose growers in the country. I worked for Star Roses and, uh, you know, with the, you know, famous for the Peace Rose and all the the hybrid roses they were doing and antique roses were – you know, they have a, a very, very big place in my heart, 
you, you know, and it's hard to it's hard to deny that. But I think if you're a plant person, it's hard to not be you know interested in other besides native plants. But I am definitely uh, my heart is definitely with native plants, and, and so when you ask the question like, what is your favorite? It really it really is an unfair question, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I do have so many, and I'll list a few. Um, but I'm you know it's just because that's what I happen to think about at the moment. But I would say that chili piquin is one of my favorites, and that's the native uh, capsicum annuum is a native. Uh, it's the precursor to most of the peppers that we eat, like the bell peppers and jalapenos. And um, for us here in Austin, they're perennials, and they grow in sun, they grow in shade. They come back every year. The, you know, mockingbirds like them. I like to cook with them. Um, they're a really attractive plant, and so it has a lot going for it. So that's a fun one for me. Uh, Detura, the jimson weed, or thorn apple, is is another one that I just think is just so uh, elegant, but a little bit mysterious. Partly because you know they bloom at night, and so there's a little bit of you know intrigue there because they're a little bit um, um, you know, hiding from us and just coming out at night is kind of fun. And then watching the hawk moths, the sphinx moths coming to it is also pretty fun to watch. And I think plants that attract animals to see how things are interacting is always really interesting. So if, if it's something that I can sit and watch um, for a little while, that's that's going to be a lot of fun. Those are all wonderful choices. Oh, yeah. That's why I oh, love this then, question. Antelopeorns, <laughs> milkweed, I love that. Green flowers are pretty cool. Yeah, some of the small, minute little passion flower vines with the very intricate small green flowers, pretty cool. Yeah. Aristolochias, I don't know, they're pretty neat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's why I love that question. We get such wonderful answers, and a lot of times it's things that we, we don't expect or, or don't even know, which, which is fantastic. You know? So thank you so much. Um, we always kind of end with a final thought and – this is where we just kind of hand hand it over to you for a couple minutes, and we we give you the floor, and you can use it however you want. If you want to sum things up, if you if you want to uh, pitch something, whatever, however you want to use the time, we give it to you, and it's that the floor is yours. Uh, Joe, do you want to start off? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I would just say to specifically to your your listeners, uh, especially the ones who are new to. Uh, native plants or even to horticulture in general or uh, natural things, uh, give native plants a chance. Uh, uh, you know, go out and see what they, what they can do for you, what they can do in your life, what to see what there is to appreciate there, either in a botanic garden near you or just out in nature. Uh, just get out in nature and enjoy it and, and take a close look. I, I, I would challenge anybody to pick any native plant and examine it closely with a magnifying glass even and see what it has to offer you because you'll find some surprises there. You'll find some some delight there. That's what I would say. Awesome. Andrea? Um, I'm thinking of a couple things. One is uh, the whole wildflower drive that we the, the ritual that we have here in Texas anyway in the spring where people go out in their cars and drive around and look at wildflowers. I love that. It's a fun thing to do. Um, my challenge would be for anybody who wants to do something like that is to also stop at a safe place and get out and look 
and see things um, up close, you know, things that you wouldn't see going 60 miles an hour on the highway. <laughs> Once you get out, you know, going to the deserts of West Texas is, in a, is, is a great example. Like you drive around and you're like, oh, it's just a bunch of dirt. It's brown. But if you get out of your car and you walk around and look around at what's on the ground, um, you see amazing things. And you realize that a desert is not a barren landscape. Um, and I think that that's a really um, rich experience. It just really makes your life richer to, to see something like that. Um, the other thing that I would, would say more from a horticulture perspective is if you're trying to become a better gardener using native plants is to really, um, you know, learn as much as you can in the traditional ways, like you know, taking classes, reading books, talking to other gardeners. That's huge and invaluable. Um, but also using nature as a model. And I have found this to be so helpful with using native plants. And a lot of the things that we're using uh, in the gardens at the Wildflower Center are not things that I know have ever been under cultivation. And so we're trying to, um, you know, informally do research by just playing and experimenting and seeing what happens. And um, one of the things that is really helpful is to just go out into an area where those plants grow observe what are the soils, what is the light conditions, what other plants are growing with them, um, what time of year, what, are, what is the rainfall, and just really observing and, you know, absorbing all of that information in and using that to be a better gardener. What, why is this plant not doing well? Um, maybe it's getting too much water because some of our plants don't want more water, or maybe it's too much organic matter. We, um, we had a display many, many years ago of blue bonnets in one of our beds, and uh, it was pretty funny because um, this was early on. The bed was prepared with lots of compost, and they planted blue bonnets and mulched them all, looking nice and pretty. And those plants grew and got huge, lush leaves and got mildew and really didn't bloom much, and they flopped over and just kind of didn't look that great. But all of the seedlings that were coming up with the decomposed gravel pathways looked fabulous. And that is a really important lesson that not all plants, not all native plants want you know, your traditional well-composted soils. And so if you can see what those plants are doing in their natural situations, that can really inform what you're doing in a garden. Awesome. awesome. Those are great thoughts. Yeah. Tom, would you like to go or you yeah, want me to Yeah, I can go. And um, so one of the things I'll do during episodes sometimes is, like, I'll have a thought and uh, and something I'll want to look up real quick. And luckily we're doing this on computer, so I just type it in real quick. And one of the things I was thinking is, well, I, I know that, wildflower.org pops up towards the top when you search a plant but i so i quick did five and then actually the first one i searched was lobelia cardinalis so it's funny you brought that one up as one of your favorite plants but that i think you showed up uh first on the list on the google search results four times and then second once you lost to the missouri botanical garden on the other one and they tended to be like in the top three <laughs> times too but it's it's a resource that even in new jersey Thousands of miles away from where you guys are in Austin, Texas, I use on a weekly basis, maybe even a daily basis. Daily basis. Um, just looking at native ranges, looking at different things about different plants. We use it for our, our episodes in our um, – you guys probably don't know, but we have a, a secondary episode. It was just Fran and I, and we'll kind of uh, talk more candidly through some of the things that we're thinking about and articles we're finding. But we pick a plant that we think is, is seasonal that week and uh, – but I almost always use your guys' website for that. Yeah. And uh, now I'm actually really looking forward to hopefully making it down to see uh, the Lady Bridger Johnson Wildflower Center when I have that meeting in February. 
Because uh, and even if it's February, it's there's still all kinds of things that you can see even in New Jersey where it's it's probably a little bit more deciduous. It's it's uh, there's stuff to see here in February. But I'm like now I'm really trying to swing. How can I get an extra take an extra day if, and if, stay down there for an extra day and make the drive? And, if, if, it would uh, be worth it. Yeah, yeah. If you don't oh, go, it would be worth I'm it. never gonna <laughs> let you live it down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm gonna I'll bring it up every yeah. episode. Well, that was one of the things. Another thing I was I said I have side thoughts and I'm looking up. I'm like, okay, well, um, my meeting's here and Austin's here. Okay, it's like two hours and forty five minutes. Well, maybe the like the Wildflower Center is a little bit closer. No, it added ten minutes to the trip. Well, maybe the hotel is a little bit closer. No, that added ten. <laughs> it's the trip. So I'm like, oh, it's getting further away. But I think I'm gonna have to try and do and it. Swing that and do it. Then yeah, I can see my friends at uh at Native American Plants too and and check that out. So but awesome. know, I'll be in touch about that, I guess. All right. Great. So yeah, Fran, how about yourself? There's a lot going on in Austin too. There's, yeah, oh yeah. Not be yeah. Bored. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I had a meeting in Austin probably a handful of years ago and I didn't even think about about going to visit then just because it's kinda like a quick I shouldn't say it was quick. It was a very intense meeting. You were there for three days, but it was 8 o'clock to, to 6 p.m., well, probably like 8 p.m., what you were doing stuff. So I didn't really have time to slip away, and my flights really bookended. And then now I'm like, oh, I should have planned an extra day then. Then I've only been uh, like you know, 20 not, minutes away. Not that you say it. Like I have a friend that's a geologist in Austin that's in a band. I should probably go see his band and then make <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. So, I'm in a uh, band. Well, <laughs> now, now you guys have a couple of close personal friends in in uh, Austin at the Wildflower Center. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to look up when you're here. So awesome. We'll Perfect. be happy to, we'll happy to have you. I'm booking my yes, trip. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right. I guess I got to go too. So yeah. I'm I'm uh, my my final thoughts a little more abstract today, and and it's just that it never amazes me each episode. Or just in life in general, how much I don't know, and I think I'm to the point where I stop cataloging what I know, and I'm I'm keeping a list of things I I want to learn about. And you know, with with anything else, if if this is your passion, native plants, and or you're just starting out, stay curious. Um, never stop learning. That's you know, I I think Joe mentioned that, and that's you know, we have so much fun in what we do. We we love our jobs and our podcasts coming in and, and, and talking to people and just learning. And that's what's made this journey so much fun. So if you're on this journey with us or you're taking a different journey, just stay curious, never stop learning, um, and, and, and keep pushing forward. And, and we want to do that with you. Let's, let's all do it together and, and, and be a part of it. But I, I learned a lot today, and, and that's what I'm taking away from this, and I, I want to continue to do that. So I hope everyone else learned a lot today as well, and I'm sure we're going to end this podcast, and I'm going to jot down five more questions, and I'm going to email <laughs> yeah. you <laughs> later where I'm like, oh, I, I should have asked this. I, I forgot to ask this. So um, please, you know, and 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 for our listeners um, on the on the Facebook group, if you have questions for us in regards to this, we'll we'll try to answer them the best we can. So keep you know we love that our listeners come back to us all the time with questions. So uh, you know if you have questions, let us know. And that's it. Right, there you cool. go. So that is it. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Andrea and Joe about the uh, Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center. For more information, like we've referenced a million <laughs> times, you can visit uh, www.wildflower.org. 
Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. As always, we have to thank uh, the egocentric Plastic Men for contributing our theme music. Make sure you stream or buy their music wherever you consume your music or go see them live uh, if, if you feel safe uh, in your area and, and live music is still happening. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery. Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. We're going to make sure we put all of the uh, information in the show notes as well if you want to follow um, Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center on social media as well. Um, we have our question and comment line. It's been a little quiet uh, recently, but make sure you call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that a little more slowly, 215-346-6189. Give us a call, ask us a question, leave a comment. We'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz, and we'll answer it the best we can. And if we can't answer it, we're going to phone a friend and get someone that can answer it. Um, and then uh, I mentioned the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. You guys have been wonderful. The The community keeps growing, and you're all polite and kind and share a ton of great information. So we want to applaud you for that and keep it keep that going. Yeah, so you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Um you can listen to us where else? Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Oh, everywhere. Really wherever you can find podcasts, yeah. you're going to be able to find us there. If you do go to our website, uh, we have a link at the top where you can click that to to buy podcast merch and T-shirts. And I, I put up phone cases. That was Ooh. something new. Has I anyone do. bought one yet? I don't believe so. All but right. um, they've only been up for a short amount of time. But uh, And we don't make a dime off that merch. It's all going to... Uh, nonprofit organizations that we've had on the podcast. We're picking a couple every now and then when we get a, a lump sum that's big enough that we feel is, is good enough to donate to someone, we're donating to these groups. So you're, 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 you're spreading a great message every day when I'm and it's wearing fashionable. my shirt now. Yeah, it's you're, fashionable you're and, and uh, you know, it's amazing when I wear these shirts, how many people comment on the shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, you're supporting great causes, all these wonderful causes. Like, like Tom said, we're not keeping any of the money at all. It's a hundred percent going mm-hmm. Uh, to other organizations. Yeah. So this one was a lot of fun. So thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Andre and Joe, thank both of you for taking time out of your day. Uh, Any time at all. Uh, coming up next week, we have a buzz episode, so make sure you tune in for that. Will it be your, no, it won't be our year end. We're doing a year end one yeah. this year, but I'm losing be, track. I'm losing <laughs> track too. So, but anyway, make sure you tune in. Until next time, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.